It's great to be together once again. If you're watching us online, thanks for joining us that way. And uh, if you happen to be uh, new to us today, you are our guest. My name's Todd uh, and would love the chance to meet you even after the service today. Well, uh, as some of you know, Cleveland Browns training camp did start up this week. Just, yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, as the season is just right around the corner, my anxiety is already ramping up. And I was thinking about it, like, really, as I think about Sunday afternoons, it is the most stress-inducing, anxiety-inducing time of the week, especially after you preach two sermons and then you go and do that. And uh, I was thinking about my, my son and I, when we're watching the Browns game, uh, it's an emotional roller coaster. Uh, we can be hugging and giving each other fives one second, and the next second we are screaming at the TV, and I'm wondering if I should be a pastor or not. <laughs> It is wild, and uh, even being up three touchdowns isn't enough for you to feel good, because you've seen the t-shirt, right? You've seen the t-shirt. We almost, always, almost win. <laughs> that is the Cleveland Browns, not this year, though. Everything changes this year. <laughs> but listen, um, I, I was thinking about this. I think sometimes life is like watching a Cleveland Browns game, if you know what that's like. It's an emotional roller coaster. It's up and down. You experience really good days and really hard days, the joy and the pain. But I want you to know that as a follower of Jesus, the main difference between your life and watching the Browns game is this. You know who wins in the end. And it changes everything right now. And so that's where we're going to go today, but I wanted to remind you, this is week eight in the series that we're calling We Believe, and it's a series primarily about our core beliefs here at, a church, at our church, the essentials, the things that are non-negotiables for us as a church, and we've been unpacking them all summer using the Apostles' Creed, which is the most ancient creed in church history because it gives you every essential doctrine right in there. So today, I'm going to pull up the one that we're talking about today, and that is the resurrection. We believe the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. Amen. All right. That's the end because it's really what's speaking to what's happening in the end. So we're talking today about future things, about end-of-life type things. And I wanted to let you know, too, a little heads up. Next week, of course, is outdoor service. Uh, which don't miss bring friends and family because the message will be just a, a very outreach focused message next week um, And then we're going to finish one more bonus week in the we believe series and we'll tell you more about that But don't miss the outdoor service by the way I heard there's a barrio truck coming if you know barrio you're excited right now uh, Anyway, I digress We are going to be talking about three things that the bible says about future things they all start with E, end times, eternity, in everyday life, in light of eternity. So end times, eternal life, and everyday life. Here we go, diving in. End times first. Now when it comes to end times in the Bible, there are a couple things that we can absolutely know for sure, and there are a whole lot of things that we can't really know for sure. And that, uh, to kind of maybe sum it up and be as succinct as I can to say there, there are, um, it, when it comes to end times, we know what will happen, but we don't know when and how and all the little details in between. We, we can't be sure 
of those things. We know the main thing, but we don't know all the details. And I, I know there are some that really get uh, amped up about end times study and prophecy stuff. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with that because the Bible has a lot of things on end times. And so if that's you, study it. That's great. Some of you have kind of your end times view because you've gotten so into it. And that's all good too. There are like three camps, uh, amillennial and premillennial and postmillennial. And then there are nuances within those camps. And all of it has to do with how it's all going to unfold. But what I want to tell you is if you love the, uh, to study end times, I want to just give you one quick caution. Keep studying, but focus more of your time on applying what you do know and less of your time in studying a ton of things that no one can be 100% sure about. Right? That's where I want to kind of focus us today. So our Silver Creek Church doctrine, uh, doctrinal statement has one thing on end times. And this is, this is what we believe, and this is the only thing that's, that's essential. All the other little details and camps and amillennial, postmillennial, all those things are not essential to us. Here's what's essential. Let's put it on the screen. This is what it says right off our website. We believe in the bodily resurrection of the just and unjust, the everlasting conscious punishment of the lost in hell, and the everlasting blessedness of the saved in heaven. That's what we believe. That's it right there. Now, there's a couple things I want to point out because, again, there are things that we know for sure. One of those things is Jesus is coming back. We believe he's coming back. We don't know all the details of when. We don't know the hows and what's going to happen leading up to it for sure. But we do know he's coming back. And I think that is the most important. By the way, uh, the Bible says no one knows the hour no one knows the time. So if you've ever heard somebody give you a date, unless they're Jesus, they're wrong. And honestly, they're spending way too much time barking up the wrong tree. Really, it's not the way you want to spend your time. So I'll get back to that in a minute. Titus 2, verses 11 through 15, says this. This really gives you the... the the most important things. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. That's the second coming. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. It says, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, and let no one disregard you. And at that last verse, it says, be authoritative about these things. There are two things in this passage that we can be like, speak with authority on. And it's these two things. The first coming of Jesus, and the second coming of Jesus. And then how we should live in between. That's, that's what this passage says. We should be authoritative, like be stubborn about the first coming of Jesus. That is, of course, that what it says in verse 11, right there, that for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. We can be sure that Jesus came to this earth, lived in our place, died in our place to reconcile us back to God. That's what he did. He paid for sins. That already happened. 
We're 100% on that. And this is what Jesus said. I am coming back again. So because he did that the first time and he rose from the dead and appeared to a bunch of people, we trust Jesus. He says, I'm coming back. Those are the only two things that we can be 100% sure of when it comes to end times. That's kind of where I want to anchor. Be stubborn about those two things. Be unapologetic about those two things. He is coming back. He, he came, he paid for sins, and he's coming back again. I'm going to get to what happens when he comes back in my next point. But those are the two things that we need to focus in on. And I want to say this real quick. It is the application of those two things that are most important today. Not, not as much digging into all the details of how it's going to happen and when it's going to happen and all that. It's the application of those two things because end times shouldn't give you information. It should tell you how to live. That's the most important thing. So that's where we're going to go next. And uh, we're talking about uh, end times, but next we're talking about eternity, the, what the Bible says about eternity. Now, if you notice something in our doctrinal statement, one of the things it said that's really challenging but maybe could be new even to some who've been in the church that we believe in the bodily resurrection of both the both the just and the unjust that means is we believe that everyone in this room in this world will live forever the just and the unjust those who have come to know christ as their savior been justified by his blood those who have rejected jesus all will live forever in a bodily resurrection we believe that to be true now here's the hard part we'll spend eternity in one of two places everyone lives forever but we will all spend eternity in one of two options as the bible lays it out this is the challenging part it's heaven or hell and this is one of those like i've been almost like sick to my stomach this week leading up to this because it's a hard one but it's in the Bible. And so first I want to talk about, um, I want to talk about hell because I'd like to finish on a better note. Right? So first I'm going to talk about hell. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7-9 says this, And God will provide rest for you who are being persecuted and also for us when the Lord Jesus appeared, appears from heaven. This is the NLT, by the way. He will come with his mighty angels in flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who don't know God and on those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with eternal destruction, forever separated from the Lord and from his glorious power. All right, uh, these are hard passages to read. It's Silver Creek Church. We, we, we think that this is the word of God. We believe it to be true, all of it. And so we're not just going to focus on the ones that are really encouraging and easy. We're going to read all of it. And this is one of those days that's a really hard one to read. What this is saying, and oftentimes people think, well, hell is just a place where you go to die. And eventually you just, you know, you'll just be out of it or whatever. That's not what this says. What this says is that hell is a place of eternal destruction. It's a a place of... uh, that you're not going to ever actually cease to exist. You will just suffer for eternity, and that's what this passage is saying. And that's a, um, that's a really hard thing, but here's what makes hell so bad. Because everybody, by the way, we're, we're wired to think about eternity, especially when we lose loved ones. 
we're always thinking about this, and I think we all have kind of our own thoughts on hell, our own thoughts on heaven, but we've got to look to Scripture on this. And what I want to tell you is that the worst part about hell is, is not that there's like fire or the physical pain. The worst part about hell, and don't miss this, is that God is absolutely absent. He's not there. And, and at first that might sound like, you know, okay, that will, well, it's not that big of a deal. What if he's already absent from my life now? But actually, it's not true. Because even if you're not a Christian here on this earth, God is still here, we believe. He is in creation. His glory is seen in his church. His glory is seen. There is still a lot of goodness on this earth, and everything that is good is because of God. Hell is different. There is not one thing that is good because there is no God in hell. He is absent. And that is the absolute worst part about hell. Now, um, the problem that people have with hell, and I know a lot of people have it, you may have a problem with hell. It's hard. The problem with hell is that people have is God seems mean that he would condemn, you know, people to this kind of misery. And I, and I, I get why people would have that problem, but I want to point out a couple things here. First of all, um, if you were here last week, one of the things I said is that when you sin, sin is breaking, uh, not breaking a rule, it's breaking a relationship. And so, you know, what, what you do when you sin is you're saying to God, like, I, I want to do things my way. I, I don't want anything to do with your way. What you're saying to God is essentially, leave me alone. Leave me alone. And so if you never give your life to Jesus, asking for the forgiveness of sins that we talked about last week, your past, your present, your future sins, restored relationship with God, if you never do that, you're telling God, I don't want anything to do with you. Uh, there's an a, a article that I actually am sharing today. I think it's out in the atrium if you didn't get it when you came in. Um, but it's called Seven Truths About Hell by J.D. Greer. Uh, if you're interested in reading up a little bit more, this is a good one. But I want to give you one quote that he uses, and this is what he says. Hell is the culmination of telling God to get out. You keep telling God to leave you alone, and finally God says, okay. Um, it's a hard thing to read, but I want to kind of explain a little bit. This, is, this, is, this really means something. Because what we need to know is every one of us, remember last week we talked about our starting point for every one of us, we're all, we all get the same grade because of our sin, the convicted felon and the <laughs> gossiping soccer moms, like I said, but we all get the same grade, we fail, right? we fall short of God's glory, that means we deserve the wrath of God, it means we deserve hell, that's our starting point for all of us. So what happened is God made a way to actually get us back to him to be restored he made a way through jesus and what god wants desperately is for every single one of us to take it but there are so many people that look at it and go i don't want that so let me let me give you an example if there's a if you're out in the middle of the sea and you are drowning and you are kind of on your last leg like you can't keep up anymore you know you are drowning, you know it's the end, and you have a boat that comes by and they throw out one of those life rafts to you and it's sitting right in front of you. 
and all you have to do is grab that life raft and you look up at the boat, you push it away and go, I don't need it. No, thank you. My question to you is this. Did you drown because nobody loved you? Did you drown because nobody cared? Or you drowned because you made a choice? And I want you to know that's what we see with the whole issue of hell. It's, and, and, and so if you say like, well, I don't understand why God would send people to hell. I, I actually think it's different. I think we send ourselves there because we make our own choice. We make our own bed because we refuse to accept the forgiveness that Jesus has offered to every single one of us. Um, there are definitely people who say also, I love Jesus. I'm a Christian. Can't believe in hell. Uh, I want to focus on that for a second because um, a couple issues with that. One is that Jesus talked about hell a lot. He actually talked about hell more than he talked about heaven. The gentle, meek, lowly, sacrificial, loving Jesus, he talked about it. And so we, we, can't, we can't just take one without the other. But also, um, I want to just say this. If without hell, without hell, it really diminishes your, the power and the love of God, and especially the power of what Jesus came to do. Because let me ask you a question, like, what's, what's the point of Jesus if there is no hell? What's the point of him, right? Why did he come? What did he do? Uh, why do we call him our Savior? Uh, why did he go through the horrors of the cross? What was he saving us from? And I, I'd like to just propose something that might be, hard, uh, might be hard for some, but I think the idea of hell doesn't underline um, the fact that God is mean or angry. It actually emphasizes just how much God loves us. And let me tell you what I mean, that he would come down from his throne to this earth, live in our place, in this broken world, but yet was perfect, and then went to the cross to pay for sin. And as he was dying on the cross, one of the last things he said was, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And many scholars, as they study this, they say that was the first time that Jesus felt what it was like as a man to be separated fully from God. And it was hell. Jesus went through hell so that we wouldn't have to. That's not a God being mean and condemning. That is the most loving thing that anyone has ever done for me or you. And that's, that's where I want to anchor us today. Um, that that kind of moves me to heaven, which, whoo, let's get there. Revelation, Revelation 21 says this, verse, first four verses, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more, and I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. 
That's a little glimpse of heaven. If you want to take a look at Revelation 20 and 21, you can read up more. But there's one kind of thing I want to focus on, and that heaven, it's, it's less about the place, and it's way more about the person. And I want to focus there for a second. Um, we have all of our ideas of what heaven's going to be like, and a lot of times we're like, heaven is like uh, a, the best vacation you've ever been on. No. But like, we've all been, I mean, we're in a fairly middle upper class community we've all been on really nice vacations and at the end you're like that wasn't as good as i thought it would like heaven is like bali but like better you know where there's white sand beaches and clear blue water and you've got a little drink with an umbrella on it it is heaven right and i get why we would think that because we all want to have those kind of vacations but heaven is less of a place and it's more about the person that you see and i think that's the most important thing uh that I want to focus on here. Um, remember what I said that sin is less of, it's, it's not breaking a rule, it's breaking a relationship. And so when you have asked Jesus to forgive your sins and be restored back to God forever, you have restored that relationship. Heaven is the culmination of that relationship. It is now fully restored where instead of just having faith that it's restored, which is what we all are doing right now, heaven is the place where we will be face-to-face with the only one that loves us perfectly. And so I, I was thinking about this. I'm like, how can I illustrate heaven? And uh, if you guys have ever been on the YouTube rabbit trail of like the military reuniting videos where... The guy comes back from being gone or the girl comes back reunited with the family and it's a surprise thing. So I wanted to, uh, you'll be in tears when you watch those things, but go ahead and play this one. And that you're okay and that maybe you can come up before Thanksgiving. Uh. Is this soon enough? because I think that's way more of a picture of heaven than anything else. Heaven isn't the, the greatest homecoming or the, the greatest um, uh, vacation you've ever been on. It is, it is a homecoming to the one who loves you perfectly. And, and it's hard for us to even wrap our minds around, but take the person in your life you are the most in love with, not having seen them forever, but then multiply it by a hundred. That is what heaven will be like. It's not about a place. It's about a person that you were made for. And it is a beautiful thing. Now, there are so many other things that I could say about heaven, but I want to get to the last point. There's, uh, there's end times, there's eternity, and then lastly, there's everyday life. There's everyday life. Um, I want to give you a little illustration here. And uh, Chris, I'm going to have you come up. By the way, Chris didn't introduce himself. He forgot, but... This is Chris Canonico. He is our summer intern. And uh, I have uh, toilet paper here. And since Chris is an intern, if you want to rattle this back up afterwards and take it home, that's fine. Um, so 
I want, I want you to just pull that thing. Go ahead, try not to pull it too hard to break it, but we're going to just keep going. Just keep going. I'm going to go back here a little bit too. I got this idea because my two-year-old will come to the toilet paper roll and just pull it out. Um, all right, Chris, thanks. And, it, you know, it just keeps going and going when you unravel uh, toilet paper like that. And, you know, I, I wanted to just make this point that if this, I know it's a little weird illustration, but <laughs> if this is the length of eternity, if this is the length of eternity, our life, our life is like that. Like, probably less than that, but that's as little as I could get off of the toilet paper. My question to everyone today, and this is the challenge, what are you putting your hope in today? Are you putting your hope in this speck of a life? Or are you putting your hope in eternity? And, and if you're putting your hope in eternity, how would that change the way you live today? Because remember, it's the application that means everything when it comes to end times. So there's two things I want to say as we close. There are two, two ways that I think eternity impacts everyday life right now. Two things. There's more than this, but two I want to give you. Keeps you on mission and gives you hope in hard times. Keeps you on mission and gives you hope in hard times. First, keeps you on mission. You guys remember after Jesus uh, died, and rose again, and he appeared to all the disciples over a period of, you know, several, like over a month or month and a half or something like that. He, uh, he then ascended into heaven in Acts 1. And when he ascended into heaven, right before, he gave one message, and the message was this. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Essentially, Jesus goes, now, I did everything you need me to do. Go tell everyone you know about the message of the gospel. And then he, then he took off and he went and the, the disciples are standing around and they watch him disappear into the clouds. And, and they're like, this is a weird scene. They're standing there looking up into the clouds and the, the, then he's gone. And they're still standing there just in awe. And these two angels come down and they go, hey, men of Galilee, well, why are you staring at the sky? This Jesus who just left is coming back the same way. And what this, these angels were saying is, do you, did you hear the message? The message isn't keep staring into the sky and to figure out what happened to Jesus and when he's coming back. The message is, now that he has done what he's done, it is your responsibility until he comes back to be a witness for the gospel every single place that you go. And I think that is the biggest, one of the biggest takeaways for eternity. So let me ask you a question, like, how would it change your everyday life if you were thinking and putting your hope in eternity? You'd be walking around and you would be thinking every single person you come across is an immortal being headed one of two places. How would that change the way you interact with that person? Not to scare them out of hell or anything like that, but so that you would want for them what you have with Jesus. That is what we want to do. Um, second thing is this. It's hope. It's, it gives you hope in hard times. Uh, and, and we know this. Life is just hard. This world is broken. We experience so many difficulties in this life. And I think 
what, what we need to know is that despite the, the pain and the heartache and the, the depression and the relational strain and the divorce and the, the wars and the, all the pain of this life is very difficult. And it's, it's really not the way, if you've ever found yourself going like this in the hardest of times, it's not supposed to be this way. There's got to be more. You're absolutely right. right. You weren't made for this life. You were made for God in heaven to be with him forever. That's why this world is so broken. And that truth actually has the power to get you through some of the darkest days in your life. It is not like a Browns game. It is not this game where it's a roller coaster and you don't know how it's going to end. If you know Jesus as your Savior, there's only one scoreboard that matters, and that's Jesus defeated sin and death and hell on your behalf. And if you have placed your faith in Jesus, because he won, you win in the end. It gets you through every hard day. It makes your best day only a shadow of what's to come. And it makes your worst day someday be just non-existent because it'll be swallowed up by sheer joy that we can't even wrap our minds around. Right? I want to challenge us today as we close. I, uh, I have had the band come up. I want to have them come up and play the same song they started with because I love that song and it speaks really well to this. And there's a bridge in that song that goes like this. I know how the story ends. We will be with you again. That's it. It's all you have to know about end times right now. You're my savior, my defense. No more fear in life or death. And the last thing I want to say uh, as we close is this. If you don't have confidence today where you will spend eternity, maybe today is the day that you accept the grace and forgiveness of Jesus that can and will give you confidence in the hardest of days that one day you will be with him forever. Father, we love you and we thank you for being a God who saves. What you have saved us from is uh, bigger than we think. It's a bigger deal than we can even wrap our minds around. And so today, uh, Lord, I pray that we would be moved by what you've done and that we would put our hope not in this life, but in eternity, and it would change the way we live even today, that we would be more bold about the gospel, that we would be more willing to love people right where they're at, and that we would get through the hardest of days with that blessed hope of heaven.